Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you're listening to the Alaskan Grappler Podcast, bringing you interviews from the best to ever do it. From the Golden Heart City of Fairbanks, here's the best damn Alaskan wrestling podcast host ever, Dennis Auckman. What's up, everyone? You are listening to another episode of the Alaskan Grappler Podcast. I am the best damn Alaskan wrestling podcast host ever, Dennis Ackman. All I have to say is finally, finally, I'm back, and I'm better than ever. If you have never listened to this podcast, then you are welcome for blessing your ears with the voice of an angel. (laughs) And if you have listened to this podcast before, well, welcome back. Let me start off with giving a little update with what's been going on with me and why I haven't dropped a podcast in so long. I had another little girl in July, for those that don't know, and apparently it takes far more work to be a parent of a toddler and a newborn than it does to just be a parent of one child. I'm a guy who does his research. I like to read a lot. And nowhere did I find anything that said two kids would take more time, effort, and work than one. So I don't know what the hell is happening. That being said, clearly my life has been a little busy between raising two perfect little girls, being a husband to an amazing wife, COVID obviously has thrown a large wrench in everyone's life, and the fact that I do all this in my free time just for fun. Now, down to business. First, let me apologize publicly to Chris Perk. We had this interview back in like July. I spoke to him several times since then and apologized for the delay, but again, I am so sorry for the delay in getting this interview edited and out there for your listening pleasure. For those who don't know Chris, he is currently an assistant coach for Homer High School and current athletic director, as well as podcast host himself. He used to be the head coach, he grew up there, he wrestled there, he had success wrestling and coaching, and went on to wrestle after high school. After college, he brought his love and passion for the sport back to Homer and has been a large factor to the school's wrestling program. He has also helped with the Alaskan Grappler rankings, as well as rankings for AK Matt back in the day, and even announced state finals matches in the past when AK Matt used to record them and put them on YouTube. The man is an Alaskan Wrestling Hall of Famer, fellow Miami Dolphins fan, and a great dude. We talk about so much in this interview, so without any further delay, here's my interview with Chris Perk. Let's start with the question I ask everybody off the get-go is when did you start wrestling and then who or how did you get into it? Yeah, so it happened in like second grade and I had started out playing Little League Baseball that year for the first time ever. I'd never played sports until second grade and I had a friend that lived next to my grandma's house who I would play with all the time. And he's like, hey, you should play baseball. And I was like, okay, cool. And so that was really fun, and I totally enjoyed it. And then he was like, hey, wrestling starts this fall. You should join wrestling. And I was like, huh, okay. And I had no idea, yeah, what wrestling was. My family didn't have a clue really what it was. Other than my dad had been a bus driver up in Anchorage, and he drove the Chugiak wrestling team, I guess, like to their events in Anchorage. And so he knew of the sport and he actually liked it because being around wrestlers, the vibe was like, he enjoyed what was going on there. And so literally like I didn't have sweatpants or athletic shorts. I was in my tough skins or something. These Sears Roebuck jeans that were just, oh, awful. They didn't breathe at all. (laughs) And so finally I convinced my mom to cut a pair off at the knees so I could you know, have kind of like shorts. And that first year, I literally bridged the entire season. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the year, that was the award I won, was a classic Kingfisher Bridge Award or something, because I didn't win a single match. I wasn't even close, but I could bridge and not get pinned. And so that was the start of uh, my wrestling career with the uh, Popeye. It was Popeye Wrestling Club. Sir, did you guys have a lot of kids coming out at that time? Yeah, I would say that was right when Popeye was starting to grow. We had a guy, John Hendricks, was our coach. Uh, He was a former Homer High School wrestler that went on to wrestle at North Idaho and Tennessee. And he just, he was a big presence guy, you know, just big, boisterous. Like when he barked, we all ran. And (laughs) 
was an easy guy to perform for because he just was so gregarious and just felt like, yeah, that's the kind of guy I want to be, you know? Follow-up question I always ask everybody is, you know, who has been some of your biggest influences in the sport of wrestling when you were like a competitor or maybe even as a coach, I guess, you know, coming up and starting the coaching scene? There's a lot, I would say, in looking, you know, like kind of preparing for this interview. I was like, gosh, who, you know, I mean, really all of them have some type of an influence, you know, with sure. John Hendricks getting us started with the youth program. And then Pat Daigle was really influential as my high school coach. He really helped me through more than just wrestling, you know, at, yeah. at that period of life. Steve Wolf, of course, who's in the Hall of Fame. Here's the thing that I appreciated about Coach Wolf. Like, he would, took me to a wrestling tournament in Anchorage. It was like some freestyle tournament. Drove me up there, wrestled. I had prom that weekend, and he was willing to, like, leave early, drive me home to get back huh. for prom, you know? Wow. And I was like, you know what? That's pretty cool. Not everybody yeah. would make that type of sacrifice in their life and then college uh mike clock at pacific university he you know we call him grandfather clock because he's just been around forever and he wasn't on the mat so much with us but he just was a presence he was always around he stayed connected he just called me last week and like oh i'm coming up in two weeks get the boat ready let's oh, go nice. fishing that's cool. Yeah, and so and what's cool about that era of Pacific is that I think out of the ten weight classes, eight or nine of us all went on to be high school coaches, and I think that was really because of his influence and keeping us all connected and moving forward. And then as a coach, I think it morphs a lot. You know, I had read Tom Ryan's book a long time ago from Ohio State and got some nuggets from him. And then it was really cool when uh, Steve Glassy, he runs Camp of Champs, and he was bringing people up here. And the first summer we took kids to that was uh, when Henry Cejudo came up. Oh, okay. And so I kind of connected with Steve, and he loves fishing, so he would come down and fish. And then, you know, the next summer he brings up, you know, world champions, and then all of a sudden here's Kale Sanderson. Uh -huh. You know, at my house, staying the night, and I'm taking fishing, and I got to hang out with him and Casey Cunningham for an entire day. And, wow, that's crazy. Uh, so then I was like, oh, yeah, well, I got to study Penn State, guys, because there's something really good going on there. So I think I, it continues to morph, and I think that's the key to good coaching is that you, you watch, you observe, and then try to take what you can and put it into your own system. Sure, I totally agree with that. That's a, that's a great answer. Let's talk about high school wrestling. I had you fill out that questionnaire and you put on there that you took fourth at state your sophomore year. And that was when Homer was still 3A. And then they got bumped yep. to 4A. And then we did. Yeah, that was that era. Like we jumped back and forth a lot. It was funny. We're, the joke was we were always at like 399, you know, for a lot of years. <laughs> okay. And then the count got up to 402 or something. And so, yeah, we came in as a freshman and sophomore, 3A, and then my junior year and senior year, we were up to 4A. Okay, and then your junior year, you put on there that you did not place at state. And then your senior year... Uh, correct. Yeah, I was looking back at the bracket, actually, and trying to figure that out. But it was just a tough weight class. You know, a guy named Justin Jackson from West and Seth Whaley, Fred Donaldson, actually. Oh, I think okay. his name was Fred from Lathrop and he actually made it to the finals that year against Justin Jackson. So you went from not placing though as a junior and then you and then you were runner up your senior year, right? What happened yep. in between those two years? How did you go from not placing to being a runner up? Like that's such an extreme difference. What what changed there for you? I would say well it was a heavy senior group that you know that year. Like a lot of kids graduated that year. And then I was really motivated to, you know, end on top and really worked hard in the off season. I'm not sure if that's a year I did Team Alaska or not, but I definitely, I would have, you know, probably did. And then that senior year, I just was focused and really 
You know, I didn't play basketball that year. I really, truly wanted to give my best effort in wrestling. And it all seemed to, yeah, it, you know, it, it did fine. I, I think it's different. So I, I would say just a little bit of everything. Sure. And then uh, out of curiosity, who did you wrestle in the finals? Yeah, a guy named Glenn Brown from Soldatna, who I beat three times that year. Oh, brutal. Uh, yeah, it was brutal. And that's a good way to put it. You know, the <laughs> last, And I beat him 12 to 4 the weekend before. Oh, wow. And I was just crushed. He put me to my back somehow. I got caught. It just was a wild match. You know, I actually, I went out there. I took him down right away. And he yelled that he was injured. I was taking him down to his back. And basically, I didn't get anything out of it. Not even take, you didn't like, get the takedown? Nothing, yeah. They didn't give wow. me anything, even though I was like, literally taking him down to his back and yelled. He used up all his injury time. And then he came back and was just like a whole new wrestler. You know, yeah. it was like. What a surprise. Down and out. And yeah, somehow he caught me for five. And I never could, yeah, I just mentally couldn't, couldn't get back in it. Get back into it. Dang. Well, at least you know that, I mean, at least you know that you, you beat him, you know, a few times earlier in the year. Not that it, you know, makes a difference, but it's always kind of nice knowing like, hey, you know, I beat that guy. You know, I don't know. Maybe not. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it wore on me a lot. I, one of the quotes that I heard recently is somebody uses – this quote is like wrestling is what you do, but it's not who you are. And I think it was hard for me that senior year because I really identified with wrestling and I felt like that's who I was. And sure. so when I didn't come home to the state championship, you know, socially and emotionally, it was bruising for sure because I was so ashamed that I hadn't done what I seeked out to do. Right. How long do you think it took you to kind of get over it? Are you over it? <laughs> Well, I think now, yeah, I mean, it motivated me. I don't know if I would have went on to college to wrestle had I not taken second place. Oh, wow. I think had if I won a state championship, I would have been satisfied. But not winning it actually, I think, fueled my desire to keep pursuing, you know, something higher. And so, yeah, I, yeah there was months that I held on to that for sure. But now... Um, to a place where it's like, no, that was actually probably a good thing that that happened. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. Speaking of which, that's kind of like leads me into my next question. So after high school, you wrestled for Pacific University, which is where exactly? It's in Forest Grove, Oregon. It's about 30 minutes to the coast of uh, Portland. And at the time it was an NAIA okay. school. So was that always your goal? Like when did... I mean, was it just the losing this year, senior year in the finals? Was that what made you decide for sure that you were going to go? Or was that always like kind of in the back of your mind that you wanted to maybe wrestle in, in college? Or how did that opportunity come about for you exactly? Yeah, I would say probably not till my senior year when I, you know, was pretty successful and thought, man, this could be my ticket out of Homer, you know, this could be my chance. And nobody in my family had ever gone to college. So it wasn't like we had a blueprint on what that even looked like. You know, how do I apply? What does that look like? I put out a couple feelers to some colleges, applied, got accepted. And then Pacific wasn't even on my radar until summertime when Coach Clock actually came to Homer. And it was pretty cool. Like he literally came to my house to visit and he was like, why haven't you signed with anyone yet? And I was like, well, I was only a runner up, you know, like I'm not a state champ. I don't think I'm college worthy. And, and he was like, here's the application, get it done. We want you. Oh, wow. And okay. So, oh, sweet. Okay. This is, yeah, what a neat opportunity. Well, and then in college, you had success. You were a two-time All-American, had 100 college wins. Can you just maybe talk a little bit about your experience wrestling in college and maybe I don't know, how was it like schoolwork as well as wrestling? Yeah, I tell a lot of people, I went and wrestled for four years, and at the end of it, they gave me a college degree. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty cool, because again, like I don't think, had I just gone to college without wrestling, I don't know if I was motivated academically enough to have done that, and so it was pretty neat to, to have that experience, and I, you know, initially I wanted to be a math teacher until I took calculus, <laughs> and uh, 
literally the guy was a rocket scientist. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was hilarious. He stood at the board the entire hour and just wrote formulas. And we would all just be sitting there with our hands up like, hey, we got questions. And he never would turn around. And it was oh, like, gosh. yeah. I'm going to go try the PE department, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> wow. Then I switched over to be a PE major. That was, yeah, definitely more my cup of tea. <laughs> and uh, wrestling, you know, for the definitely my freshman year was a learning experience. I, I think, you know, wrestling in Alaska then was pretty archaic. And, and my style that I learned even was – you know, I had a Peterson roll from the bottom. When I got to college, of course, that's not a very effective maneuver, and uh, I did not have a very good stand-up. And so my freshman year was definitely I had to relearn the sport. And then as, as I figured it out as a sophomore and junior, yeah, all of a sudden it's, I developed a, a plan. And fortunately, my senior year, I, I had twisted my ankle at the Oregon Classic and tore a bunch of ligaments and it just never, I never got to a place where I could condition. Finally, I basically just went to nationals, but lost two matches in overtime because my conditioning was so poor. Dang. And so, yeah, again, I didn't finish, you know, as high as I'd hoped to have. Probably hang on to that more than anything. Yeah, sure. But at least that one, you know, seems to be a little bit more out of your control as far as, you know, kind of nothing you can not much you can do about an injury well, well one of the questions i mean you kind of touched base on it just a tad bit but you know what are some of the differences in your experience wrestling in college compared to wrestling in high school yeah definitely the yeah the styles the mentality i think the mentality was a big one you know where you'd get in the room and even in the practice room there was various people that you had to kind of figure out you know there was one wrestler where i could always get to his leg like all day long, I'd get to his leg and then he'd just kind of sit in this front headlock position and try to choke you out, you know? And you're just like, yeah. come on, buddy, this isn't wrestling. Like, yeah. You're choking me out. Like this is not any fun at all. And, <laughs> and so I just had to figure out, you know, everybody had a different style and, and at some level, everybody wanted to be there. So it wasn't like there was any fish in the sea. Every match was really competitive. And I think you had to just stay on top of your, your game, you know? Yeah, sure. So you have a master's degree in sports medicine and you are a PE teacher and an athletic director at Homer high school. That's right. Yeah, I was, so I started out after college somehow the middle school PE job opened up in Homer. One of my PE teachers had retired. And so I came back and somehow filled his shoes, which was pretty cool because at the time Everybody I'd heard to was like, oh, you're so lucky. Like jobs don't open up in Homer ever for teaching. And oh, wow. I was like, wow, well, good timing. Yeah, seriously. And so then after a couple of years, all the teachers kept saying, hey, go get your master's degree, bump up your pay scale. You know, it'll pay off long term. So I used a couple summers down at the United States Sports Academy. And at the time, we had a lot of injuries in PE class. And I just didn't know, you know, what to do. And I was, I was always questioning myself. It's like, oh, well, go put some ice on it. Uh, but, the, you know, you just felt inadequate. And I wanted kids to either know if they were injured, like, are you injured or you're hurt? Because right. a lot of kids use being yeah. hurt to get out of workout. So I'm like, I'm going to go educate myself. I went and got my master's in sports medicine just because I wanted to learn more about how the body worked. You know, were these injuries real? And then uh, came back, and after three years, I took the high school coaching job. And then that summer, the athletic director retired. And so then I also interviewed and took the AD position at the high school. Been doing that, I wouldn't say every since. I did have a five-year window where I would did, just did straight PE. Let's talk about coaching a little bit. We kind of talked about it a little bit earlier as far as, you know, some of your influences and stuff like that, but, you know, you've been the head coach and you've been the assistant coach. What are some of the major differences there? Is it just the responsibility that comes with being the head coach compared to assistant coach or? Yeah, I would say that, I mean, it kind of hasn't been, I would say so much of a difference yet here because there is a lot of things that I did as the head coach that I probably still do as the assistant coach. Okay. Uh, because I'm good at it, right? Like. Sure. 
like why why hand off something to somebody else if you're really good at it, I guess. So I, I wouldn't say a lot has changed other than maybe an overlying influence, you know, giving up the practice planning every day, things like that are, are different. And then it's, I like the flexibility of being an assistant coach because I think what was happening as the head coach is I wasn't able to keep those relationships that I wanted to form. As a head coach, it seemed like there were so many other things that you're juggling that the thing that we got into coaching for is the relationship with your athletes. And I was definitely losing that. And so coming back in as an assistant coach, I feel like I can really start to form those bonds better again, uh, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, What do you think the hardest thing about being a coach is? I think that that's probably it is keeping those relations, you know, like checking in whether it's weekly or monthly with your athletes, because if you're not, somebody else is. Right. And, and feel like you're competing with so many things nowadays with social media and technology. And at some point, you know, for old guys uh, like me who aren't into Snapchat and things like that, it's like, ah, I have to work a little harder to make sure that we're forming those connections and, and keeping the venues of communication open. Let's talk about you being inducted in the Hall of Fame a couple years ago. Number one, were you aware that that was going to be happening? I know some people get surprised and some people know ahead of time. No, that one uh, hit me in the face like a Mack truck, to be honest. Okay. Like awesome. I, had, I was literally, you know, I, in my eyes, that was always something you get when you're old, right? And I <laughs> had not mentally fathom that yet that that was in that position right and so i was then getting we were getting ready for the finals because it's right before the finals and so i was going back i'm like i gotta go change into my suit and tie and and get ready for the finals and then my assistant coach bubba was like yeah i don't have time to do that and i was like what are you talking about like i i can miss the first couple people getting inducted no big deal and he's like yeah i can't let you go back there and i was like oh so then it was like uh uh-huh. <laughs> two and two together okay cool well that's that's awesome tell me a little bit about that what did that mean to you you know being inducted was it you know something that you hold special well i think yeah yeah it is right anytime you get honored for years of service i think when we were younger that you know like the coach richies and the coach wolf like people coach forever it seemed like when we were kids but as we get older especially being an athletic director, I know how many coaches we hire all the time. I don't think there's as many coaches making it a lifestyle anymore, you know, 20, 25 sure. years. Yeah, I hear you. And so I think if you do anything long enough and you do it, you know, above average, <laughs> then, which is a great quote actually from Brett Metcalf. He was at a camp a few years ago and he kept saying that, you know, that was wrestlers. Like, we strive to be above average. And I'm like, yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, we don't have to be great, but being above average for a long period of time, I think, is, is was noticed. And that was great. You know, we, we had the opportunity to win a few, you know, state championships this last couple of years and to go along with the wrestling career. And I think just always promoting wrestling, right? It's like your podcast, which I really enjoy. It's like, man, anything we can do just to spread the word about what a great sport this is, we need to take advantage of that. We're going to talk now a little bit about kind of like some of just the random stuff that I always talk to people about. So you said you're a coffee drinker. Are you the type of person you have to have coffee every single morning? Get cranky if you don't? I am. Yeah, I totally am. I got addicted, I guess, probably about my you know, when you started out teaching, like I'd never drank coffee in college, and then I get to teaching, and all the teachers are drinking coffee, and I was like, oh, well, I don't want to be the guy not drinking coffee, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I started out with black coffee, and I was like, oh, this is just awful. Why do I do? I can't do this. Horrible. And then somehow we had this new espresso in town called K Bay Cafe, and this guy had just won like the state's best barista award. And so I'm like, oh, I'll give that a try. And I do have a little bit of a sweet tooth. And so I got I got addicted to mochas and, you know, flavored mochas. Uh, it started out with caramel. Caramel mocha is what got me roped in. And 
And now I kind of have a variety each day of the week. I try to do kind of like a, a theme like macadamia nut Mondays and coffee okay. nut Tuesday. And so again, kind of like with my adult beverages, I also would like, you know, my, my daily mocha drink. Funny story for you here. And I can't remember if I've actually talked about this on a recorded portion of a podcast, but the way that I got into drinking coffee, and I don't drink it every day and I don't get like headaches or anything like that, but it was actually on a wrestling trip when I was coaching my little brother, we went to the diamond mall uh, in Anchorage because we were at the dual tournament and we didn't wrestle until like the night session or something, or, or maybe we wrestled the morning session and we were done earlier. So, so we took all of our kids to the diamond mall to like just kind of just blow off some you know, time or whatever. And all the coaches went to the perfect cup restaurant in there. And I remember, uh, they had a little thing when you walk in and it had their white chocolate mocha, a little picture of it. And I was like, that looks fantastic. So I was like, let me, I would have one of those. And I tried it and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is insane. And, uh, ever since then I've, I've, I, that's my go-to when I go and order coffee is white chocolate mocha or whatever. And I, like I said, I don't drink it all the time, but it's also hard for me because my wife always drinks uh, Americanos, which is just black, just nasty as hell anyway. So I'm like, yeah, she'll get the hard stuff, the nasty, you know, mud nasty. And, uh, I'll drink like the, you know, the other stuff. And it, so not that it matters, but I'm always like, yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, foo-foo drink. You know, when I first started, I was yeah. like, oh, this is pretty foo-foo. But yeah, I got to the point where I'm like, I don't care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I hold the whip cream. That's where I hold my mic. I can't do whip. Uh, would you consider yourself a morning person? You get up and you're I all would, chipper? Yeah, I would think so, which has changed because, you know, I think probably, you know, I've hit that age where I can't sleep in anymore. And so what I found is I feel, yeah, this is probably the next word of advice to young people, <laughs> but is that I, I think if you go to bed at a reasonable time and you, you, you just get your whole day and I feel like the hours that the things I get done between seven and 10 in the morning before a lot of people get it, even get up is like, wow. Yeah. Uh, so those are the little things I think that can set people apart as well as just getting up, get going, yeah. uh, move. And so, yeah, I'd say I'm, I'm more of a morning person than not. Speaking on the morning thing, do you typically eat breakfast? Are you, bre do you have to have breakfast or? Yeah. So during the school year, I pretty much have oatmeal every day of the week, except for maybe one day of the week, I get a breakfast sandwich. Which is really bit. good. My wife, my wife's an amazing cook, and so I'm pretty blessed that way to to get really good food. But uh, no, I try to stick to a routine during the school year. Summertime, not so much. Like I'll find myself, it'll be like 11 o'clock, and I'll be like, "Oh my gosh, I need to eat. I haven't had breakfast yet." <laughs> <laughs> Just well, because then, it's so sunny out, and yeah. you know, when you drink a mocha every morning, you're getting a thousand calories. Yeah, so yeah. it's not like a Body's like not getting nourished, you know. Going in survival mode. <laughs> totally. well, I need you to rank pancakes, waffles, and French toast for me from favorite to least favorite out of those three. I know. I, I it seems like not too many people give pancakes the credit they deserve, but I am. And so luckily every Sunday I get blueberry buttermilk pancakes. Oh wow, there you go. And yeah. And so those are for sure top on my list. Like I look forward to my Sundays when I get pancakes. And then I guess waffles are fun because that's where I would use whipped cream. <laughs> and usually I'll have them at like the uh, when we stay at the Diamond Center or something when you okay. you can make your own waffles. and Yeah, okay. And then French toast coming in last whatever, place. Whatever third place after that. <laughs> and then here's a new one I got. So no one's heard this one yet because I've not done editing the podcast uh, with, with Nathan Hoffer. He's the first person I asked. This seems to be highly debatable between a lot of people, either heavily on one side or heavily on the other. I'm kind of, you know, I don't have a dog in the fight. So let's see here. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Where do you stand oh. on that question? Are you a person who like yeah. super into one I know. side or the other? I definitely enjoy my Hawaiian pizza, so I would have to lean towards the side that says yes. Yeah, okay. Like it's they're juicy. It's it somehow it balances the bread and the cheese. I, I think it's that sweetness, right? Yeah. So probably the people who have a sweet tooth are are leaning towards pineapple on their pizza. I imagine. 
maybe that's what it is because I feel the same way. I'm not like heavily like, you know, you know, it's good. It's not my necessarily go-to pizza, but I don't think it's disgusting. Something about it works, you know, so I kind of don't understand the. And I'm a, I'm a super picky eater. So I don't understand the people that are like, you know, don't think that it goes together because for me, I'm like, it's a, it's a really good, it's a really good mixture. It is a good combo, but there's nothing wrong too with just full on meat. Oh yeah. Meat lovers all the way. We're going to go into something else here. You know, so you said that you were adopted. Were you adopted like as a baby or at a certain, like, you know, five years? I don't know. I guess I kind of don't know what I'm asking here. Were you like adopted like your whole life or did you go through like, you know, how some kids go through like foster cares and things like that? Or how exactly, you know, did that? I No, it was a unique situation. I got adopted by my second uncle when I was about one and a half. Okay. And so. My parents, so I was kind of adopted in family, so to speak. And so my mom and my dad have always been my parents, you know, growing up uh, pretty much. And so that was uh, an interesting experience. Yeah, and then you also Uh, said that you were born in North Dakota? Yeah, so I was born in North Dakota, and then my biological mom had me when she was like 20, and she just wasn't ready to be a mom. And then my parents up in Alaska were trying to have kids. It wasn't working. They really wanted to be parents. And so it was kind of neat that here I was available, you know, someone who wasn't ready to raise me and, and, and parents who were ready. And so it was just a good fit. Yeah. So like a blessing in disguise. Totally. So I was going to say then like what brought you to Homer, but if they were already up here, up, up in Homer. Yeah, yeah. So my parents lived in Homer already. My dad's parents moved up here in like 1956. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, we've, I'd say we've got some roots uh, in Homer, I guess, for a bit now. So my biological mom just flew me up here with, you know, her and when I was about, yeah, one, I guess. And Yeah. So obviously you said your parents are your parents, but I mean, he- biological mom just not in the picture ever anymore after that or out of curiosity oh no okay yeah she is yep and we actually have a really good relationship she reached out to me after high school and so when i got to go to college she i actually flew down to san francisco to meet with her and we drove up from san francisco to portland and just yeah got to know each other and catch up things we'd missed and like even spring break this last March, I went down, my wife and I to visit her and Oh, cool. Uh, so right on. We really enjoy our time together. Cool. Well, that's dang, man. Well, it kind of seems like it worked out great for you. Well, how, you know, did that play any part, you know, you growing up as like an only child and being adopted Did that anything come out of that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's always abandonment issues probably when things like that occur that was hard to work through. And I think sure. there's some things in life you're always constantly working on. And so, yeah, I'd say that there's some things that, you know, I wish I would have known earlier, Yeah. <laughs> you know, questions or conversations that were had that would have helped me make sense of the situation more. But that's always, that's just the way life is. And, and so, yeah, I'd say there's issues, but I think also that it presented opportunities too, you know, being in a, in a family that, like I said, wanted to have a kid, just fill the role. And then to, it was unique too, I think, you know, not very, I, I don't know a lot of people who are adopted. And so when you hear or you right. find someone that is it's like, it, I don't know, like it's just kind of a neat connection. So I, I would think that that's part of what makes me unique as well as, yeah, something different than a normal biological upbringing or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Well, tell me about Homer a little bit. You know, you said you, you, you grew up there and then you, you obviously went out, out of state to go to school and then came back. What was it like growing up in Homer and, and what's it like now as an adult? I mean, can you just maybe speak on that a little bit? What do you do when you're a kid for fun in Homer and all that kind of things that all just based around like, you know, fishing and all that kind of thing or yeah, it is now as an adult. <laughs> I mean, what's the point of how much fun fishing is? It's like, wow. Uh, as a kid, I think we just did a lot of, you know, things kids do, ride their bikes, play in parks, tennis courts, whatever, and uh, played a lot of sports, you know, a lot of sports growing up. So I didn't just wrestle. Yeah. If, uh, if someone has never been to Homer, 
what is something that they need to do or check out like maybe a hidden gem, you know, like for example, I went to Homer last year for the first time as an adult. I used to go there when I was a kid, but I kind of have vague, vague memories. And uh, we went there last year, had a blast and we, you know, just went down there and stayed at like an RV park and went, you know, out on a day trip or whatever fishing and absolutely killed it by the way. Super, super good time. And then came back and enjoyed a salty dog at the salty dog, which by the way, my personal opinion, salty dog, like the actual drink, are absolutely disgusting. My, the one I had anyways, horrible. I just wanted to do it because I'm like, and eh, you know what, got to do this. And it, was, and it was just terrible. But is there any like hidden gems or anything that, you know, someone comes visiting for the first time and say, hey, man, you, you got to do this or you got to check this out or uh, anything that comes to mind that you can think of? Yeah, that is a really good question. I know. I guess it depends on your situation. If you have kids or if, you know, if you're on a honeymoon type deal, I, I think it kind of could differ depending on your situation. But uh, obviously the beaches here are all awesome to go to and, and walk on. And yeah. of course, everything across the bay, if you can get over there to go like hike the glacier or uh, rent a yurt, um, that's pretty uh, special too. And then I would yeah, gosh. I, what about know, places to eat? Around. Yeah, I would say, I mean, in the summertime, there's a place called Little Mermaid that we really like if we're going to go out to eat. Little Mermaid's good. We're at a place now where my wife and I cook. Like, it's hard. Like, we don't go out to eat anymore because we've kind of... Because you're so good at cooking? <laughs> yeah, we love what we cook. <laughs> yeah. We can't go to a restaurant and get it replicated, you know? It's like... yeah. Why would we go spend extra money when the food we make here is exactly what we want? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, I'll make sure that next time I go down there, I'm checking out the Little Mermaid. Just, just for yeah, the definitely. Little Mermaid's good. Okay, let's talk about music. Put on there. What kind of music you like? You put country barbecue. Explain that to me. What's what's country barbecue? You like listen to country music while you're barbecuing, or like? <laughs> Right. That's awesome. I, I actually don't probably listen to it while I'm barbecuing, but maybe I should. I don't know. It's just a station that uh, I'm, you know, on Pandora and then it's on Spotify. So it's like Kenny Chesney. Okay. I don't know. It's just. The and it's called community. Country Barbecue? It's called Country Barbecue. Huh. Yeah. I'm going to have to check it out. And it's just used, most of it's upbeat. So if you're like out working. Sure. Uh, this new song just came on that I like. It's called It Ain't My Fault. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is like you just sometimes stop and you start clapping your hands. Like, <laughs> All right. Oh, you know, it's like, yeah. man. Okay. I'll definitely check it out because I, I listen. I literally listen to – pretty much not even exaggerating like all kinds of music with with the exception of like death metal where they just like yell and play guitar or whatever but i literally listen to pretty much everything else my wife's korean so i even listen to like korean pop not a joke uh, <laughs> yeah, awesome let's uh let's also talk about sports so and favorite sports franchises first of all let's run down the list of the four main sports of nfl nhl mlb and NBA, what who are you rolling with in each in each sport? Let's start with NBA. Who you got? Who are you taking? Yeah, so uh, definitely old school Boston Celtics. Okay, I grew up you know with Larry Bird and Danny Ainge and those guys, so I, I got hooked up with them at an early age. So you like them because of the guys that you watched growing up and because they're on top at the time. Yeah, and one thing that. I, you know, I'm very loyal, I guess. Like, I don't jump ship or join a bandwagon. So those that's those are my guys. And every year, you know, there's they win some and they lose some. Gotcha. And then uh, MLB, who you got? You're a Yankees fan, yeah. right? Yeah. You might end up stopping the conversation here right now. But, uh, yeah, the Yankees for sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to stop the conversation because, unfortunately, I have to deal with it all the time because my wife is a Yankees fan. So, oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. So, we have Red Sox fans and Homer, it seems like. So, oh, wherever really? I go in town, it seems like I get razzed because of that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. She grew up watching, like, you know, Jorge Posada and Derek Jeter and all those guys when they're in their prime. So, that's why she liked them. And uh, we actually got to go to Chicago probably like 10 years ago and watch the 
the I'm a Cubs fan. Watched the Yankees play the Cubs for like a you know interleague series there, and that was really cool. Sat in different section. We went to three games in a row and sat in a different area and whatever. And the amount of Yankees fans that were at the Chicago uh, Wrigley Field was crazy to me. I was just like, I wonder. They were like literally starting like their own chants, and I you know I was just like, oh my god, like what the hell is going on? Shut up. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then that I didn't want them proud. to kick my ass, so. <laughs> We went and watched the Yankees in Chicago, but we watched them. They played the White Sox like on a Thursday night, and then we watched them play the Cubbies on a Friday night. So that oh, that's was cool. pretty neat. Awesome. And then uh, who do you got? In for, who do you take in for hockey, NHL? Uh, yeah, I probably distanced myself a little bit, but I, I was a Boston Bruins fan for a period of time when they had Ray Bork. Okay. I guess, yeah. Sure. And then I, I waited for the end to talk NFL because it's not every day you talk to another Miami Dolphins fan because there's not that no many kidding. of us out there, or at least not many of us that will admit that they're a Dolphins fan. <laughs> totally. Anytime yeah, it comes up, I'm always like, you know, who do you like? I'm like, uh, do I have to tell you? <laughs> right. So why are you a Dolphins fan? Well, I, I think it was just in that era of time when I started liking sports and Dan Marino, you know, that was his year when he got to the Super Bowl and it was like, wow, these guys are fun. They throw the ball a lot. When I was a kid, like I literally had a football and I would play football in my yard by myself and I would throw it to myself and like dive in the snow to catch it and it'd be like a first down. And so I was like, yeah, Dan Marino, this guy chucks the ball a lot. I love it. They were just enjoyable, and I, I liked the colors. were intriguing to me, and, and I always thought if I was ever going to go get to watch my favorite team play football, I want to go to Florida. <laughs> from Alaska. Yeah, that's funny. The only NFL game I've actually been to was when I was living in Las Vegas. The Rams, when they moved to L.A., so not too many years ago, the Dolphins happened to be playing in Los Angeles that November. And I told my wife, I was like, we got we to gotta, we gotta go. It's only like a two-hour drive, three-hour drive or whatever. And we went down there and we rented a little, a little beach house and whatnot, stayed down there for the weekend and went and saw the Dolphins play. Unfortunately, the weather was crappy that day as far as raining, but they had a comeback win and ended up winning like 13 to 10. But it was so, so cool to be at that. And then it was at the time where I think it was the Rams' first year being in L.A. So, they, you know, the people of L.A. weren't really – like the Rams weren't like their own. Like there was probably more people wearing like Dolphins jerseys and stuff than there were people wearing Rams jerseys. And it was just, yeah, really, really cool to be, be at that game and see all that stuff. And I actually, in all the sports growing up and whatever, always rock number 13 because of Dan Marino. Yeah, something to say. Not too many other people rock that number either. No, yeah, and that's why I do, just for that exact reason. One last thing to talk about before we get back into wrestling. Let's talk about fantasy football. You said you're in a fantasy football. You get, like, super into it? I would, yeah, probably more than my wife would like me to, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I listen to a couple podcasts, and then I, yeah, try to do a few mock drafts every, you know, once a week at least. And, Are you in the same league uh, every year with, like, friends or to random ones or – yeah, I'm in two leagues, one with some teacher buddies in town, and then one with actually my buddy who's a Patriots fan okay. and all his buddies from back east. So it's a oh, pretty okay. two different, yeah, sure. very different five yeah. leagues for sure. <laughs> would you would you say that you're a, a you know a, a above average fantasy football player, or you typically well? Um, I know yeah, I'd like to think I am. I mean, last year I was second in one league, and uh, the year before in the other league I was second in. And so typically I'd say I'm in the in the top tier, yeah. Okay, cool. And then, uh, you know, do you have a specific, like, fantasy football strategy that you kind of go with when you're drafting your team? It kind of depends on where you're drafting, though, right? I, well, I, well, yeah, what threw me off last year is we switched to an auction draft in one league. Oh, interesting. So I had to really, yeah, do some research and try to figure out. How was that? Do you like what, that at all? Or? Yeah, I think I do, just because you get to kind of almost pick your team you want that way, right? right? I mean, so how does it work? It, it's just still a normal draft, and then when it comes to your turn, you have so much money, and then each player costs a certain amount, or how does that work exactly? Yeah, exactly. So everybody has like $200 to start with. And let's say you're the first pick, but you just basically you're the first nomination. So you nominate, oh, let's say Lamar Jackson, right? And 
So everyone gets a chance to bid on Lamar Jackson until oh, whoever okay. the top bidder is, right? $50. Oh, and then you've got your quarterback, but now you only have $150 left to fill the rest of your team. Right. Okay. Interesting. Huh. That's kind of cool. A little different, I guess. How many people yeah. are in each of those leagues? Eight, 10, uh, 12? Two, yeah, 12. Okay. Just curious. Right on. Well, let's get back into wrestling. I got a couple more questions and then we'll be done. What do you think is the hardest thing about wrestling? Oh, man, all the encompassing things, the mental piece, the, uh, you know, managing your weight, trying to, I think a lot of it for, for me or for kids that I've coached, it's trying to just decide if wrestling is for them. Am I a wrestler? It's really hard to find a kid that's willing to start wrestling in high school. And so unless you, especially nowadays, if you haven't done the club Growing up, the likelihood of you being successful at the state level is going to be really low right now. Right. Um, and so that's kind of a bummer because it'd be nice for kids to be able to – in other sports, in high school, they can join for the first time. And yeah, I, I think that they wouldn't get humiliated like they could in wrestling. Right. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you're so, so far behind the curve, especially if you're at a, you know specific weights where you're looking at the top, you know, even eight kids have been wrestling since they're in like, you know, third grade or something, or, you know, and there's even kids that have been wrestling for a long time that aren't even going to place because they've been doing it for so long. Brand new kid ain't even going to, ain't even going to stand a chance. Right. And so I think maybe now where I'm at with that is, is like I said earlier, knowing that we wrestle, but it doesn't have to define us. And that's hard because it's an individual sport. And when you compete in football or basketball, you know, Homer, the, the team Homer loses, right? Mariners lose. But when you step on the mat and you lose a match, like it's Chris Perk that just lost. Being able to manage that mentally a, a, as a wrestler is probably one of the harder pieces of it because unfortunately we let that identify who we are and it's not it, it yeah. doesn't have to be well especially as you know teenagers they don't kind of seem to you know not many of them realize until after the fact that you know that's not just the one match or two matches or season doesn't define you as a person or you're you know up to now as a person yeah exactly and and we do right because it's that world that we're in it's right it's uh, hard not yeah because we're like rankings and yeah exactly yeah. people who are getting the accolades are at the top of the podium and there's not a lot of like wrestling i think is so hard the, the work you put into it to be successful you know if you're not it's hard to warrant going to practice yes. and sweat and climbing the rope and doing burpees and and it's, those things aren't normal workouts for i think 90 percent of the sports and so if you're not getting some success, it's hard to look at that and go, oh, yeah, at least I was getting a good workout. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What do you think it takes to be successful in wrestling? There's a few factors that I have observed, I guess, that maybe aren't even in people's pictures, I think. And one of them is family support. There was a few years where we would go to the state tournament and I just observed, like, the kids whose parents weren't at the state tournament, they would not make the podium. The kids whose parents did come to the tournament, they would get on the podium. Starting out at, like, the youth middle school level, if you have your own pair of wrestling shoes, like, if your family invests in a pair of wrestling shoes, which is really all you need, versus, you know, the kids that get loners. We always start out, we rope them in, right? We all got all those loner shoes. But when that family invests in that oh, their own pair of wrestling shoes, all of a sudden, like, the level just rises, it seems like. So those are kind of things that I've observed that aren't, I don't think anybody would ever think of. Obviously, I think having a, a good coach and culture in your town is important. So when kids do wrestle, they feel good about it. They're not questioning themselves. They're not like, oh, man. You know, wrestling, because some places don't embrace wrestling. And so I think it's important that you have a, a community that supports it. And so that just builds their self-esteem. And then finally, nowadays, I think at the elite level, if we're talking highly successful, yeah, just surrounding yourself with 
people who know you know more than you do yeah. and, and I think not being afraid to fail I you know I can think of one of our wrestlers who he was afraid to fail and he you know he wrestled and he was a couple time runner up but you know he wasn't willing to take the risk to fail when it didn't matter right yeah. practice doesn't yeah. matter if you lose just you could lose a practice every day and so I think being able to fail at on a daily level is is really important. And you talk to guys like uh, Jason Nolf when you when you listen to Jason Nolf and those guys from the Young Guns Wrestling Club. Those guys were willing to take risks, practice every day. Great point because you have the kids that you, you know you'll see them. They'll go when it comes time to like go live or whatever. They'll go get you know try to get the easier kid. You know they're not going to get the the kid the tough kid or the kid that maybe pushes them who's just a pain in the ass or whatever. Very few people go and do that, but the people that do seem to do that seem to have more success for sure. Toughest opponents in Alaska, one, two, three practice partners, people you wrestled throughout time that you can maybe think back on and be like, man, anytime I wrestled that person, they really gave me hell. Anyone come to mind? Yeah, I know. I had to look up. I was like, ah, oh, I got to look up some names here to make sure I remember who they were. There was a guy who wrestled my sophomore year, Stevie Gamble from Lathrop, and he tore me up. Like, that guy was fast. <laughs> I think he was probably a, a senior that year, maybe. Oh, okay. So a couple years on you. Yeah, I was a sophomore. But I had made the finals of the – it was the Lancer Smith back then before it was named that. And, you know, I was just stoked to have made it pulled the big upset in the semis and then I had to wrestle Stevie Gamble and it was like, Oh my gosh, just <laughs> tore me. <laughs> and then I, you know, the guy, Justin Jackson, my junior year from West, he was solid. I, yeah, I couldn't figure out a way to score a point on him at all. And then I remember there was another guy from West. His name was Zach Brundage, okay. uh, who I wrestled with when we went outside for team Alaska. He was really good too. So so those three in particular? Those three, yeah, that were really good. But I had some great matches with Tom Ritchie. Did you? We were in a, you know, we each other a couple times, uh, which was a lot of fun. That's cool. So he was younger than you? I think Didn't he was you? a year older than me. Oh, one year older. older. Okay. Yeah. Out of curiosity, who, t you know, who got the better of the other person? I think we split. I was kind of looking back at things. I'm like, I think we were – Dead even, both, yeah, I think we split. Do you have a, whether in the state of Alaska or after, do you have a favorite match or moment that comes to mind as a wrestler or as a coach or maybe a couple favorite matches or moments that really stick out to you that you'll look back and be like, man, I'll never forget right. that time? I know. I definitely have a few, I'd say, I, I would think. Getting to wrestle like a couple of Olympians at college was really cool. I mean, they smoked me, but still, they have the opportunity to wrestle Olympic champion, you know, Daniel Egali. Right. Uh, he was from Nigeria, but he, he ended up in Canada. Oh. And uh, so I wrestled him. And I, every year, there was a foreign exchange. So uh, Buvesa Satiev came over, and I just randomly got to wrestle him in a match. So those were matches that I didn't win, but nonetheless, to have that opportunity was really yeah. cool. And then in Alaska, I would say my one of my favorite memories was the freestyle state tournament. After I'd lost, I got second place at state in high school. And then that spring, our weight class was loaded. We had probably five finalists in our weight class for freestyle. Dang. And, yeah, it was like this gauntlet of wrestling. And I was able to come out on top that weekend and got OW and John Smith was actually at the tournament. Oh, huh. Uh, and so I got my picture taken with John Smith as the outstanding wrestler. And it was like, wow, that was – and I guess that weekend probably helped propel me back to the mindset of like, oh, yeah, I probably could go – you know, I could go to the next level. And, and then coaching, you know, obviously winning the first state championship, having the opportunity to sit in the finals chair – for like almost half of the finals for three years in a row was incredible. You know, nobody was asking me to broadcast the finals anymore. <laughs> yeah. Not available. A little busy. And, you know, yeah, I am a little busy. And so that's pretty cool when, especially in the Sullivan arena or the uh, Alaska airline center where you can just, you just absorb it, you know, yeah. it's like, wow. 
it's an incredible atmosphere and like I'm part of the show. Yeah, really Main cool event. Event. Really, really good venue there. And, and that's special, you know. I, I think that's a special place to be in. And of course, those matches are just hard, win or lose, right? You win. It's the, it's the, you did it. Your, your, your athlete is the champ. They got what they wanted. And then of course, when they lose, it's just like, oh. And that's the hardest part about coaching, actually. And I think about it to go back to your other question, maybe is that. It's like that all day long, right? You have wrestlers win, you have wrestlers lose, and you never, I think, get to a place, you know, I feel like when you coach a team sport, you win, right? You get to enjoy that win for all week yeah. uh, or lose, you lose all week. But wrestling, it's like, oh, we won here, we're excited, and then boom, five minutes later, you get you suffer this crushing defeat. So you're constantly just like, ah, you never feel like you get a chance to dissect or give that wrestler a hug that they need or that conversation's like you need to have those conversations but you don't have time to because yeah, you all of a sudden you're back now. on the back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, off. Yeah, for sure. I hear you. I think my when I think about, you know, some of the toughest things about being a coach in my personal experience, the toughest thing for me is seeing a kid that like you feel like and they feel like maybe that they put everything out there on that particular match and they still came away with a loss. I mean, what do you even say to that person? You're like, hey, you tried your best, but that doesn't do anything. Like, yeah, thanks a lot. No shit. Of course I tried my best. Or, you know, I mean, we had a girl last year who lost. I mean, it was not even like a placement match or anything. She still would have been like two out of getting. But, I mean, I just felt bad for her because I felt like she did everything that she could have done in that match to to win. And I felt like, you know, it could have been some different like calls as far as like stalling or whatever as far as ref goes and that kind of thing always sucks but i just i didn't know what to say to her after i'm like hey you tried you put it all out there and you know it's just hard to tell somebody that feels like they did everything they could and still didn't win that you know nice try i mean i don't, I don't know like hey don't work don't worry about it don't let it bother you don't let it define you i mean like they're gonna be like oh well, yeah easy to say you know you're not the one out here who just got crushed you know or, like devastated right now but so for me, that's always like my hardest thing. I'm like, man, I don't even want to go talk to them because I don't know what the hell I'm going to tell them or, you know, or how I'm going to. Right. Because it's like nothing I can say is going to make it better right now. No, it's not. And yet they need something too, you know? Right. Yeah, like, exactly. The line that I like right now that I try to use, I guess, because it's helped me get through really hard situations is that it won't always be like this. It won't always feel like this because – Right now, this sucks, but in a couple of days, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, this will be in the rear view mirror, sure. Last question, and I feel like I have to give a shout out every time I ask this question from now on is that I got from Randy Hansen is how has wrestling changed your life? Oh, man. I, yeah. I, like I said, for many years, I would imagine that I, I identified with wrestling so much that it's, it created who I was. The work ethic. I think is is the thing that I treasure the most being able to persist patience you know I commercial fished for 20 years and I to be able to get up at 3 a.m. And, and fish all day and I just know that that was all wrestling like wrestling just made me such a strong person mentally physically for so many years that uh, I, I just appreciate it and I'm so grateful that I had wrestling in my life yeah. uh, that allowed me to, at some point, be the best person I could be on the map, but it took it to the classroom. And, you know, and that's probably what's neat about wrestling is that, yeah, like we did it, right? Everything that we, we earned, we earned. And so we can do that in other parts of our life which I don't know if I ever felt that way playing other sports. I always felt like I was playing sports, uh, maybe the teamwork aspect, but wrestling just taught me to really rely on myself, be self-confident, you know, even though the two main pinnacles of wrestling I didn't achieve wrestling-wise, it still fostered characteristics that I needed to be successful in way other more parts of my life than just on the mat. 
Yeah, man, that's a good answer. That being said, I really don't have anything else for you. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast and, uh, you know, with the exception of the uh, technical difficulties in the beginning, I think it went really well. And I, uh, I appreciate the time, man. Yeah. Thanks, Dennis. I do too. I appreciate uh, you doing this and I'm glad I just fumbled. I think you had it on your Facebook post or something about the podcast and I'm like, Oh, I got to go download all these things. <laughs> Like I said, I'm trying to get better at it and, and, and questions and, and have more guests and, and try to make it better as I go. And I feel like I've been doing that and, and coming up with some good, some good interviews and stuff. So, but it's not me. It's the, you know, it's people like you that I have on here that make the interview, that make it fun for me, but, you know, kill it for other people to listen to and stuff. That being said, do you, you got anything else you want to add or anything? Are we good to go? I don't. Yeah. Um, Next time you come to Homer, though, give me a shout. Well, I'll take you out of my boat. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to hold you to it. I will. Well, that does it for this episode of the Alaskan Grappler Podcast. I would like to thank Chris Perk again for taking the time to sit down and shoot the breeze about wrestling as well as other things. I, of course, would like to thank you for listening to another kick-ass episode. I've spoken to many people about coming on the podcast that are interested. However, I can't say when the next podcast will be exactly. I'm hoping to try and get on somewhat of a routine of dropping one every so often. But for now, stay tuned for the next episode of the Alaskan Grappler Podcast.